Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the weekly variety topic podcast where we take a topic each week and, as the name suggests, we cast views. Your host for the next 30 to 60 minutes. It's never going to be 30 minutes, is it, Lee? <laughs> That's the most general time frame I've ever seen. If somebody said to me 30 to 60 minutes, I'd be like, well, is it 30 or is it 60? We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> That's why I did two, 32 <laughs> Okay, you've heard Lou. Lou, say hi. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> and I'm Dan. Really smooth, classy opening again. Do you know what's really funny is I was like sitting there thinking, I was like, oh my God, like he's actually got it nailed. Like that intro at the, at the very beginning was a brilliant. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it descended into you derailed chaos. Me. You, dera- you derailed me. <laughs> How you been? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Just sticking over. No broken bones, no COVID, nothing like that. Um, so yeah, I'm actually I'm actually feeling pretty good. My ankle is still not good though. Fuck. At time of recording. <laughs> at time of recording. <laughs> the swelling's gone down, so it's normal size, but it's still bruised still and it's yeah, it still hurts when I walk up and down stairs or move it, basically. So, <laughs> so you are like basically housebound but have to get up and go to work still. Yeah, I actually um I've been wearing trainers for the last week since I've done it at work and today I thought, you know what, I'll put my shoes back on. Two hours in, I had to go to the car, get my trainers. It, was just, it, was just, it wasn't working. Yeah, on a huge tangent, can we actually just talk about how uncomfortable men's dress shoes actually are? Because the moment you buy a new pair, you absolutely know that the backs of your ankles are going to be battered after the first three days. And they are never comfortable. It's like walking on slabs of concrete on your feet. They're just so hard. I, ha- I have trainers at work. I wear them at work. And it's a bit in the middle, you know, the, the fold along the bit across the top of your yeah. foot. Yeah. It's that bit. So, yeah. yeah, so... No, I've gone into trainers and I might just have to say the ankle hurts for about three months down the line. Yeah, no, no. Working. <laughs> if there is um, any businesses listening to this who do sell and develop um, really smart but comfortable men's smart footwear, then do let us know. We'd happy to uh, to be sponsored by you. <laughs> we'll send us some product and we'll review it. Yeah, we'll you. review it. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> we'll cast some views. <laughs> Let's crack on. We've got a, quite a funny subject, I think, today, haven't we? Yeah, I quite like the principle of this, to be fair, because there's some really good examples and there's been some absolutely hilarious ones previously. So I actually quite quite enjoyed the thought of this topic. Before we get into it, let's hear from some friends of the show. And today you are going to hear from the Doom Generation. Did you grow up with a lack of parental supervision? Do you know all the lyrics to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Remember Merrimack Cheese and the Fry Guys? Have an inexplicable love for the California Raisins? Can you remember Madonna's original face? Then you might be a part of the Doom Generation. Laugh until you cry with us each week as we stumble blindly through the memories of the movie and other random things that doomed us to be the salty, sarcastic, sardonic ladies you want to hang with. You know us. You love us. You can't f***ing live without us. Doom Generation. Available everywhere you find podcasts. And we're back. Hold on, but Lou, before we get started, we've got another little jingle from Mr. <laughs> Wilson. Josh, you've you've excelled yourself again. Cue music. Hey Lou, look over there. Wild dance has fired to your hair. The joke's on you on casting views. And we're back again. All right, so <laughs> They're the smoothest transitions after the editing. When I listen to this, I'm like, how the fucking hell did you manage to make that sound so good? <laughs> yeah, the amount of stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> so, yeah, as for the name of the, the show and the jingle there, we are talking about practical jokes, aren't we? And hoaxes. Yeah, yeah. Practical jokes, hoaxes. I guess it kind of leans into a little bit of like fraudulent type behavior. Maybe there might be some examples of that. But well, maybe yeah, in yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into it, like you, as you'd like to keep alluding to, I've got just the boring description bit of, of the episode. So a practical joke or prank is a mischievous trick played on someone, generally causing the victim to experience embarrassment, perplexity, confusion or discomfort. A person who performs a practical joke is called a practical joker or a prankster. Practical jokes differ from confidence tricks or hoaxes in that the victim finds out or is let in on a joke rather than being talked into handing over money or other valuables. So practical jokes are usually seen as lighthearted. Try to make the victim look foolish but not humiliated ultimately. So, And as this ironically is coming out a couple of weeks before April Fool's, 
and you've got to get in there early, don't you? So that's yeah. why we're doing it th- yeah. this early. April Fool's actually as goes back in history to as early potentially as 1392. <laughs> back in the day, what was your practical joke then? She's a witch. Oh, shit. <laughs> in Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, apparently, in the nun's priest tale, a vain cock Chanticleer is tricked by a fox. And basically, the, it, the way they say it is if you count the days, it's supposedly 1st of April. So, yeah, so it's it's a long-standing tradition, yeah. And I think practical jokes, as you say, have probably evolved since then. <laughs> but before we get into like anything we've bought, what about you? Have you ever been subject to a practical joke? Or have you done any? Now, I know, obviously, your uni days don't say anything that's going to incriminate you or anything. Yeah, I just don't know what type of behaviour would be acceptable to put on, like, blast to the internet. Right, maybe we'll stay away from the uni stuff. You know what? I don't know. I've never... You know what? This is strange. I've never been one because I feel like I don't take well to practical jokes unless they're really well thought out. So, like, if somebody... I don't know if you've seen, but Ant and Dex Saturday Night Takeaway has started again. Oh, right. Yep, yep. And on that, they typically get, like, a member of the public and, like, contact their partner or their family. And they have, like, a running gag which goes on for, like, legitimate months and months and months before they bring them onto the show. If someone got me with something like that, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Fair enough. But do you know, like, the practical jokes where it's like, if somebody put cling film on the toilet seat or like put some cling yeah. film in front of a door, I think it would just piss me off. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we tend to do them over here. I mean, I remember growing up, it seemed to be that, well, on TV programs anyway, America seemed to, every every school used to have one day of the year where they would do practical jokes on, yeah. on the teachers yeah. and each other. But I don't think we really had anything like a prank day here, did we? No, nothing really like that. I feel like British culture was a little bit too like prim and like law abiding and rule regulated <laughs> to turn around and do anything like that like we had a kid once that brought like stink bombs to school which was about it. Yeah. made like our science block or whatever smell like shit for maybe like two hours but apart from that yeah. never really had anything like that i think that was it isn't it it was kind of like the classic whoopee cushion stink bomb kick me on the back of someone wasn't it yeah 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 stuff like that and like you literally draw on the back of someone's pencil case or something like oh i'm a penis or something (laughs) stuff like that like literally there was nothing more more to it really it was very like like literally like first grade humor i guess you would consider it yeah like a comic book jokes isn't it yeah the 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 whoopee cushion was huge Yeah, yeah 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 very much so but apart from that, I remember like there being particular phone apps that literally just had like fart sounds and stuff on them that people would download and like play in classes and public, I guess. But <laughs> well, I used to remember, yeah, going to when I were a lad, you'd go to like the local news agent and there'd be like a shelf full of jokes, you know, practical jokes. And it would be, I don't know, like vampire fangs or fake blood or something, yeah. or something silly. I thought you were going to turn around and say then back when I were a kid, we didn't have smartphones. We actually just had to fart. And that was the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have been funny. I'll edit my bit out, don't I? I bought with me, I've got four or five practical jokes. That, and these are practical jokes more than um, hoaxes. Uh, some were quite famous. I, I'm going to guess one at least I know you'll have heard of because it was huge over here. So I just thought if we alternate, I'll chuck my first one at you. If I said to you, spaghetti doesn't grow on trees, well, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I would do indeed. (laughs) I didn't watch this because this was 1957, so it was still some time before I was born. However, I remember growing up. Oh, sorry. The other thing I've got to say here is also I I get really annoyed with April Fool's Day because, okay, we said a few weeks ago, I don't really read papers or anything anymore. And I don't really watch TV because I'm at work, but... I used to hate it because you'd buy the paper or you'd listen to the radio and 90% of it you couldn't listen to because you knew it was the paper or the radio station trying to make a joke, you know, like, I don't know, Loch Ness Monster has now been confirmed as being real or something. <laughs> or... So I, I never forget, like, The Sun, we mentioned it, that, you know, the sports page would always do one. And one year they had um, footballers with a bit of tyre cut off and stuck to their head. Saying it was it was new thing to make heading more dangerous and more <laughs> precise in the game, so they just cut off a bit of a car tire and stuck it to someone's head. I guess what I'm trying to say is I get really wound up by April Fools. But this was in 1957, the Panorama program on BBC. So for people who don't know, it's actually quite a serious program, isn't it, Panorama? Yeah, yeah it is. And also, the BBC is well, I guess for most people, a pretty well respected like 
like it is the first channel on the television they are the british broadcasting company they are publicly funded they are a trustworthy news source and especially panorama is kind of like a um a series it's a it'll, every week it'll pick a quite a serious subject it might be i don't know like crime or benefits or something and delve into it won't it yeah but not in april the first 1957 no no they ran a segment documenting a family's spaghetti harvest in switzerland the segment claimed that spaghetti were grown on trees and showed the family picking them off the trees. <laughs> but I guess for context, back then in England anyway, spaghetti was a delicacy. So many viewers fell for the hoax, some even asking where to buy their own plant. <laughs> and you can actually still see this on YouTube if you look for it. So the report was produced and presented as a family in the canton of Ticino in southern Switzerland, gathering a bumper spaghetti harvest after a mild winter and virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil. I love that. <laughs> Make it real. Add the little touches like that. Amazing. Panorama cameraman Charles de Jaeger dreamed up the story after remembering how teachers at his school in Austria teased his classmates for being so stupid that if they were told that spaghetti grew on trees, they would believe it. <laughs> The editor of Panorama told the BBC in 2014 how he gave Diego a budget of £100 and sent him off. The report was made more believable through its voiceover by respected broadcaster Richard Dimbleby. And Peacock said Dimbleby knew that they were using his authority to make the joke work. And Dimbleby loved the idea and went at work to it straight away. At the time, 7 million of the 15.8 million homes in Britain had television. And pasta was not an everyday food. They estimated 8 million people watched it. Hundreds phoned in the next day to question your authenticity or to ask more information about how they could grow their own spaghetti trees. And the BBC told them to place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato (laughs) sauce and hope for the best. (laughs) It is amazing. And it's great. Have you seen the video? Yeah. So this circulated the rounds like on the internet a few years ago where it was like a throwback. And I actually think the BBC had posted like a tweet or a story about the hoax. And so you see, and it's literally images of people like literally spaghetti hanging from trees and then people just <laughs> taking the spaghetti off the trees. But you know what? It was an absolute mastermind because at the time people would have taken a lot of this information. Like, you know, information wasn't as easily accessible as it would be nowadays where you can just sit on a phone and yeah. Google something. Because how many times you've been in a conversation and you've heard someone say something you're like i'm sure that's bullshit and you've googled it like (laughs) and then you're like yeah definitely bullshit but with this it's like where did where would you have gone because obviously spaghetti again would have been a product that would have been in the supermarkets but would have been the equivalent of like the foreign food section or like the world food section which is what we have now and so as a result people just wouldn't have been in tune with what it was but then again there must have been people sat at home like who made pasta from like scratching they were like oh my god i didn't know spaghetti wasn't just flour and eggs (laughs) yeah what the fuck (laughs) yeah well the thing is i guess also the fact it was on panorama and voiced by richard dimbleby probably at a time when maybe pranks weren't as big a thing maybe yeah yeah it's true to say, could you imagine the people spending a fortune on it in the shop thinking, for fuck's sake, I could have just stuck a bit of spaghetti in the garden. (laughs) I just love how Britain's Italian community at the time would have literally just been sitting at home, like pissing themselves laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and I've got just one more thing quickly, uh, because the BBC did play another trick on people in 1965, so it's another old one. The network aired an interview with a man who had invented a new technology called Smellovision. that allow viewers at home to experience aromas produced in a television studio. To demonstrate, the man chopped some onions, brewed a pot of coffee, and viewers called in to confirm that they had smelled the aromas that were transmitted through the television sets. <laughs> Amazing. God, what programs, can I just say, if Smell-O-Vision was a thing, what programs would you not want to watch with Smell-O-Vision on? There's probably quite a few. Any, any animal programs, I guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Not like I guess so. <laughs> It would make cooking shows awesome, though. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, the BBC, I present to you my first one, the BBC, basically conning a load of people. Well, conning is a strong word, but conning a load of people, yeah. Do we think that this is, like, the first proper instance of, like, a big, big media company and or, like, source of information turning around and trying to pull a prank on people? I think this is probably, like, the earliest and it's biggest one. Up there, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, because what did I say? 1957, didn't I? Yeah, 57 or 58, yeah. Yeah. Because as well, television at the time 
would have been a little bit more limited as well. So you would have had people turning around and like it would have spread by word of mouth because it would have been a strange thing to see. So people would have told their neighbours and told people, oh my God, did you know that you can buy a spaghetti plant nowadays? Yeah. Oh, could you imagine that? Yeah, you've gone around telling everyone, especially if certain people didn't have TVs, you're going around and saying, yeah, on my TV, which I paid a fortune for, (laughs) I just found out last night that spaghetti does grow on trees. (laughs) I could just imagine the situation of like having Italian neighbours walking next door being like, do you have any of those spaghetti plants? Can I have one? <laughs> yeah, give us 20 quid. <laughs> would have been would have been like my grandparents, your mum and dad turning around and being like, do you know there's somebody who knock on the door to ask for spaghetti plant? <laughs> oh, if we could grow pizza on trees, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, that one's brilliant. Oh. But yeah, class to the BBC as well, because at the time, I guess news reporting and that sort of thing, maybe I don't know, maybe it wasn't as serious as I think it probably was back in the day. But there were less channels as well. So to air something like that, that was completely bullshit, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like took up prime time television time because there's what only two or three channels at the time. Absolutely. Yeah, that one is absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant and i would implore anybody who's listening to this to actually go and watch like the original documentary on youtube because it is actually hilarious and then when you combine that with the context of it being like the 1950s and only a few people being able to watch this on tv and then it's spreading you can really understand how this actually (laughs) caught on (laughs) yeah all right what have you got what have you got so i've got something which wasn't actually intended to be a hoax but turned out to probably be one of the most well-known and One of the hoaxes that probably created more mass hysteria than we've ever seen before. So, this is the story of Orson Welles and War of the Worlds. Oh, very good, very good. So, I imagine that most people listening to this, if you haven't, you should go and see it, have seen the film War of the Worlds, Alien Invasion, that sort of thing. Um, But obviously, based on the novel by Orson Welles. This is according to History.com, so good source. It was a broadcast on October 30th, 1938. And what it was, was Orson Welles actually broadcasting his science fiction novel, The War of the Worlds, and it began at 8pm. Now, the problem was, is they actually did an intro which said it was an introduction that said that there was going to be a presentation of this novel. And to caveat, obviously, it's just a novel. It's not real. That's what it is. However, many people at the time took their news from the radio. That was your main source of entertainment. It's 1938. It's just about pre-war in October, I think. Did World War II kick off in November of that year, I think? I think it was November of that year. Yeah, uh, you always throw these questions. Yeah, I, I expect Dan to have the answers because yeah. he's full of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously, most people, yeah, because I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was listening to this. Dan was. Uh, he's got first hand account. Um, but yeah, so um, they actually did have an introduction that said that it would be a novel and a, a reading of a novel. However, many people were listening to a popular ventriloquist on another station until eight twelve, uh-huh. and so as a result, they missed the disclaimer. Well's take on the Martian invasion started with a weather report and a concert live from the Hotel Park Plaza before the news alerts about explosions on Mars, a meteor crashing into a New Jersey farm, and eventually aliens with tentacles, heat rays, and poisonous gas breaking out. (laughs) Terrified announcers were then saying that cylinders had landed in Chicago, St. Louis, and 7,000 National Guardsmen had been wiped out and that people were fleeing. The panic actually turned out to be real because a potential million listeners thought the earth was under attack. People crowded highways, armed themselves, begged police for gas masks and requested their power be shut off so that aliens wouldn't see them. They were, some people were treated for shock at hospitals because they were genuinely that scared. There was a woman, and this is testimony, there was a woman that ran into an Indianapolis church during evening service to proclaim New York, and this is a direct quote, New York has been destroyed. It's the end of the world. Prepare to die. Now, can I just say, just like a record scratch, because this is where like the commentary about this comment comes in. Why are there people in dire situations that say we're all going to die? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Who is this yeah. person and where are they? Because that's not what I want to hear in a dire situation anyway. But anyway, when CBS got wind of the hysteria in real life, Wells went on air as himself to remind the listeners that it was fiction. There was actually an investigation that was carried out um, and it found that no wrongdoing was done. However, the networks agreed to be more cautious regarding programming going forward and obviously specifically things that were the broadcasts of novels. It actually scored Wells a Hollywood contract, which enabled him to write, direct and star in Citizen Kane, which is a little bit of trivia. But yeah, literally tens of thousands of people packed their stuff up 
left their homes and blocked highways because genuinely they were trying to go anywhere because they thought that the major cities in the United States were being attacked by aliens. And again, at 1938, people owned radios and that's it. So you can imagine people hearing that broadcast, walking out to their streets, seeing their neighbours do the same thing and asking their neighbours and being like, oh my God, have you just heard that? And then everybody freaking out. It is unbelievable. Have you heard any of the radio broadcasts? I haven't actually, no. Yeah, she listen, because it is, it is acted, it is said really well, and it is, you know, like, yeah, aliens have landed, they're, they're, they're destroying everything. <laughs> you know, I've only heard the snippet, I'm going to be honest with you. But yeah, I can absolutely imagine that, yeah, in 1938, you've only got your radio. Again, nothing like this has probably been done before. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's really unfortunate. I hope that ventriloquist was good because, you know, to, to, to have made them, to make this happen, he better have been bloody good. I just think it's funny as well because the one person who didn't like the ventriloquist, and also, can I just say, um, how do you appreciate a ventriloquist on the radio? <laughs> how, how do we not know that it's just not three different people in a studio? That's the real story. That is the real story. That's the real story. Like, I was listening to a ventriloquist. When I read that initially, I was just like, what do you mean you were listening to it? Is that not just listening to two people have a conversation? Like... <laughs> To all of you out there, Lou doesn't exist. It's me. Yeah, I'm it's doing it. both voices here. <laughs> he is, We've it, unveiled. Yeah, that's it. Casting Views is actually just a one-man show. <laughs> we're going to have to talk over each other now to prove. We're going to have to like yeah. do some sort of synchronized thing at the end of this podcast now to yeah. prove that it's yeah. not just Dan. But, but you are right, though. That, that is hilarious. It is brilliant. And also, I just think to myself, do you know, like that person down the street that would have heard the disclaimer because they didn't like the ventriloquist, they would have just seen their neighbours freaking out and packing bags and being like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why, why, <laughs> yeah, why, yeah. why are Susan and Barry next door just fucking packing this shit and like storming down the road? Unbelievable. Because it's not like you can just text your, your, your cousin in Chicago or New York or wherever you said and said, are you all right? Have the aliens actually landed? Yeah, because that's can't the thing. Because what's at them? Yeah, because even in 1938, like nobody would have had phones. Like as, it wouldn't have been a common thing in homes, I would imagine. I don't think it would have no, been. Like, no. Even back, like, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a young skipper, but my dad turned around and said that when he was super young, he needed to go like down the bottom of the road for the phone because nobody had phones then. And that was like the 70s. So can't imagine the 30s. <laughs> Again, like you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to send a telegram to Chicago and wait four days to see if somebody comes back to me. I always remember hearing this. And like I said, I'm, it's, it's a shame I never did too much digging into the actual event itself. But, yeah, you know, this is obviously predates all the race to the, the space race and everything and landing on the moon. So space and that was probably real, a real unknown as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, this is true. It would have been. So this was like the precursor. But also World War Two was looming. So in terms yeah. of like the perfect storm for mass hysteria, people were worried about the war. People could have turned around and legitimately thought to themselves, oh, my God, like diff- like countries have aliens at their disposal like that they're using against yeah, well, us the as weapons first world well. war was only 20 years earlier as yeah well, this then, is the thing it? like people yeah. it was fresh in the minds like it was it was an awful period of time when you think about world events and that sort of thing so you can understand why it cottoned on and there was a million people listening to the broadcast so this was broadcast to huge huge audience at the time you think what well, i couldn't imagine now a radio station in the uk getting anywhere close to that and i can't imagine that many radio stations in the united states still pull that many figures for like the reading of a book <laughs> Yeah, it must have been amazing. I, I can imagine how terrified people were. And also then, could you imagine if you're hearing it and maybe you're slightly undecided about it, but then you look out the window and see people <laughs> fleeing down the street with cases and, and clothes falling out the cases, you know, leaving, dragging children behind them. You, you're going to naturally get caught up in it, right? Because again, you said, like you said earlier, you can't just Google, right? Yeah. Is shit happening? <laughs> you know? But this is the thing, and all of these combination of factors, because as well, I think to myself, it's a period of time where, like, do you know, like, old wives' tales and that sort of thing were a proper thing. Like, you know, people, like, whether it be Bigfoot and all stories that are told through generations that kind of became urban legends, this is when urban legends were, like, a genuine thing. So, again, how susceptible people were to believing this sort of thing was really high, and there were high stakes with stuff like this. 
But yeah, there were actually, I think, I can't remember what statistics I saw, but I think that there was like 18,000 people who took to like highways and motorways and that sort of thing, legitimately just carrying their personal belongings and whatever they could pack in that like 10 minute instance. <laughs> and I just think to myself, you could, it would never happen today. And that's what's special, not special about it, but that's what's unique about it. It would, it could never happen today. Yeah, because we're too connected. But also we'd probably see legitimate videos of aliens landing. We'd be like bullshit video. Like fake, fake. Green screen. Fake news. Yeah, I'd be being vaporized before I actually believed it. Like I'd be turned into that gunk that they turned into in War of the Worlds. I'd be like, oh shit, that's real laser beam. <laughs> Here we go, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say actually one thing. I recently went to a war of the world's immersive thing in London and it's really cool so if there's if there's one anywhere near where you are go to it they um I won't obviously well not that I won't give spoilers away because everyone probably knows the story of Water Worlds now but in terms of the event it mixes like live actors taking you along part of the story and mixes in VR sections that's all I'm gonna say it's really cool really <laughs> really, really cool really cool okay I've got a really quick one do you remember when I said that I only had one more BBC one yeah I lied. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to, and it's not a practical joke either. But yeah, this one is also the BBC. This will be a quick one. So again, no, back in the day, this was in 1976. Okay. Right, so the BBC loved the joke back then. <laughs> Do you remember Patrick Moore? I don't. He was this old astronomer. Dude. Did you ever see the... This is where I say, did you ever see this? You say no, and I'm thinking, <laughs> God, was this in this before you? A program called Games Master. No, I didn't know. Okay, well, Patrick Moore was um, an astronomer and he was also the games master in said program, Games Master. So, again, really well renowned, respected ast astronomer on the BBC. He used to do a program at night called Sky at Night, where he would tell you about the planets and the stars, etc. Anyway, he probably coined the term or probably was one of the people that made the term leap of faith meaningful now. On air, he claimed that at 9.47 a.m. on the 1st of April in 1976, Pluto would pass behind Jupiter, reducing gravity on Earth. If listeners jumped at that moment, he said they'd float. <laughs> Soon after, the BBC <laughs> received calls from people claiming they had defied gravity. <laughs> so the prank has since been revived, going viral online as recently as 2015. So again, going back to like the smell of vision, People are so willing to want to believe a lot of things, aren't they? Yeah, it is true. That one is amazing because as well, I'm just I'm just curious about the people that legitimately called up and would have been telling stories about how they like leaped a hundred feet into the air or something. Like <laughs> Or they just stayed in the air for about five seconds and then like Ronaldo, you know, when yeah. he jumps <laughs> Everyone turned into like a prime NBA player all of a sudden. To call up, I was thinking, you know, you're just trying to get a bit of publicity, but to do that, you look a bit of a prat. I think if you say if you're saying something that quite honestly isn't true, <laughs> or do they actually think they floated? Do they think at that moment? Because you know that's the thing. If you put science behind it, and you yeah. probably didn't just say Pluto was passing behind Jupiter, they probably used a lot of you know scientific long words. Yeah. And people are just so quick to believe, aren't they? This is the thing. Like, people believe their own lie as long as the information is, like, there and strong enough. Because if you believe somebody and you turn around and they, they get you to do something, you're more susceptible to be believing it because you've bought into the idea already. It's like people are already on board. And so as a result, any of the, the results are going to be exaggerated to turn around and be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that is now my last BBC one. But yeah, BBC love to love to trick people back in the day. Yeah, I would love to see the BBC try and play something like this nowadays, like really modern day to try and trick the absolute masses. I just think that not enough programming gets enough people on board. If that makes sense, I just don't think viewership is good enough in terms of a percentage of the population. Well, I also think nowadays it'd be spoiled because as soon as something happens like that, people will be on Twitter going, "Nah, it ain't real." Ain't real, it's, a joke. it's a joke i don't think you could have a group experience of a joke like that anymore yeah yeah i think that's what it is and to people would be too quick to want to ruin it and so that's the thing i think now it actually goes the other way i think people are too quick to try and disprove these things or too yeah. quick to want to yeah. disprove everything as opposed to buying into it at first and then realizing it's bullshit later on i think that's really as well what let's it is. just have a little bit of fun with it let's just have a little bit of fun with it <laughs> what have you got so I've got a modern one, and it was 2017, and this is the story of the shed at Dulwich. 
For six months in 2017, the shed at Dulwich, where patrons ordered entrees by mood, became the highest-ranked restaurant in London on TripAdvisor and the hardest reservation in town to get. Calls and emails with people begging to be squeezed in for birthday dinners, romantic dates, and media coverage were all ignored or told to call back as they were told that they're for a solid more than half a year they were booked out completely but it was a complete lie so (laughs) the shed at dulwich was the brainchild of uber butler who was basically a freelance writer i think he's done a lot of work for vice and i actually think that that's where it went up initially and so the reason that nobody could actually get a table at the restaurant was because it didn't actually exist so uber (laughs) butler had created a plan to turn around and look at london because i think there's like 17 and a half thousand restaurants on TripAdvisor, all based in london yeah and his objective was to get a restaurant that didn't actually exist to number one ranked in london on TripAdvisor. now i don't know does everybody around the world have TripAdvisor? is that like the thing i know in america yell and stuff but yeah if anybody doesn't know TripAdvisor is just kind of where you go to review local businesses or see reviews of local businesses and pretty well respected i think if anybody says in the uk what do you think look on TripAdvisor. or if you're an influencer you threaten businesses if they don't sorry sorry that's that's another episode go look at can we put in some gunshot sounds with dan firing off (laughs) at influencers please pa 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 It's normally you that gets all those kind of bits. Yeah, I agree. Listen to our episode on influencers. There's a lot of that in there. <laughs> Basically, the, the inspiration for Uber Butler's joke or hoax was that in the past, as a freelance writer, he'd actually been requested and paid by restaurant owners to write fake reviews. So what he wanted to do was turn this into a hoax and he created the shed at Dulwich. Now, the shed at Dulwich was actually based on a proper place because at the time he was actually renting a shed in somebody's back garden and that was his residence. It's where he lived. So what he did initially was get people to write fake reviews for him. So he gave everybody like his friends, family, a brief and said, this is kind of the style of the restaurant. This is kind of what we want the reviews to look like. And so as such, all of his friends and family wrote fake reviews on his business page. (laughs) Slowly and slowly, he started creeping up the rankings until he got so many reviews done that he was number one on TripAdvisor. Brilliant. Now, when he got to number one, he actually had bought a separate phone to take the calls for the restaurant. And honestly, again, if you can catch this on YouTube, it's brilliant. I think it's only about 20 minutes long. But he um, was taking calls, telling people that they were reserved, reserved, reserved. And he actually got to a point where he said, we need to open, actually open a restaurant and serve food. So they did. They turned the garden of this property. (laughs) It was a shithole, can I just say? It looked crap. It was overgrown. Like there was a little patio. There was like a kid's doll's house in the the garden as well. But they turned around and said, right, what we're going to do is we are going to accept bookings from people, right? We're just going to accept them. So what they did is they set up a restaurant in the back garden and they put tables and chairs out. And what they did is they hired actors to turn around and sit in particular chairs and then they filled the rest of the restaurant with actual punters Um, but what they did is they didn't charge them they just told them that they were getting a free table because it was like a media event or something like that so they didn't want to actually make people pay as a result yeah 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 so they set this all up and they actually, again, one of the funniest things in the documentary is to do with the Doll's House because they had a really good news strip. But I'm going to let you watch it because I don't want to take all the credit from the video. Um, and what they served people was microwaved meals. <laughs> Basically <laughs> what, like just ready, ready made meals. yeah, Legitimately like ready yeah. meals that you would see in like a Tesco, yeah. like lasagnas and stuff. Right. And then just dressed them up with, you know, like edible herbs and flowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they served soup of the day or whatever it was in like, any mugs that he had hanging about so like literally any mugs random mugs that he had in his kitchen he served soup in it he then served like a lasagna on uh on a dish and again the menu was a taster menu but usually you would order by mood so it'd be like anger seduction and that's that's what you would pick and it would be like a just a general weird description with no like food item necessarily in the description it was just like how you were feeling um so Because this restaurant was set up in the back garden of like this house in a shed, what he did is he said that he wanted to keep the exact location of the restaurant a secret because it was part of the mystique. In actual fact, he just didn't want to drag people down the alley, buy some bins into a back garden. (laughs) So what he did is he met people on the corner of the road, blindfolded them and then took them into the restaurant holding their hand. (laughs) He had a DJ set up. 
playing fake restaurant noises. And then what they did is because they said it was a media event, they had an excuse to have cameras about, but they were actually filming for his documentary. Of course, of course. And obviously they serve people literally one pound fifty ready meals and they're interviewing people at their tables. They're like, Oh, it's amazing. Like the soup is just exactly like my mum would have cooked when I was younger. And like, oh my god, the lasagna's to die for. It's amazing. It is literally created the this is the thing, because if you turned around and walked into a restaurant and sat down at a table and they served you soup in a mug and a lasagna that you evidently knew was ready meal because you know don't you when something's too hot you know it's come out of a microwave you'd be fucking livid but because this thing has been built up it's the number one review thing it's about the experience this this that all of a sudden the people that had gone there and literally drunk one pound super noodle soup or whatever it is and two pound microwavable lasagna all of a sudden said it was the best dining experience they ever had and they were all saying yes i'd love to come back i'd love to book another table and come back and take this person here and that person there when it was literally in the fucking garden of a house with a shed sat next to it it is hilarious TripAdvisor obviously weren't particularly happy with it because it kind of discredited their whole voting system and the way in which that could be done but it is a brilliant brilliant prank a brilliant hoax again I would recommend anybody listening to watch the original video it's honestly absolutely genius Um, and Uber Butler's been known for a couple of other things as well that he's he's done but but yeah would definitely check him out if anybody's got the opportunity (laughs) see three three things for me on that firstly yeah it is brilliant it's for me, it encapsulates a, a joke, a practical joke, perfectly. It is making people the butt of the joke, but it's not trying to humiliate them. They're kind of doing that themselves in a way, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. And this is the thing. Do you know when I said earlier about practical jokes and hoaxes, like I'd be really into it if somebody had spent like months, basically, <laughs> just making me look stupid. That's what he did. He spent months and months and months planning this, getting the restaurant to number one without it even existing, and then actually executing on it and capturing it all on camera. It is absolute masterstroke. It's brilliant. The other thing on that is that, yeah, it does show, though, how you can manipulate rating system though yeah and also people wanting to believe something so we're going right back to the two i said at the start about the spaghetti tree and the jumping or sorry the smell of vision and the jumping up at the right time people want to believe or believe something and they get taken along with it don't they yeah yeah genuinely but i think what he did and what he did perfectly is the whole experience bit because that's what london is full of probably like any big city like new york or whatever the blindfolding them and especially the serving it in mugs and things like that because there are restaurants that their name is that's what they do they serve things in quirky ways yeah yeah like when was the last time you got a starter and it didn't turn up on a fucking block of wood rather than a plate (laughs) i don't know what it is about people serving pizza on like lumps of oak no can i just please have a plate because i know that it seeps into the wood it's dirty please don't give it to me or or like like an antipasto thing on like a slate yes slate boards oh my god they love a slate board as well i am actually curious as to if if you are a restaurant owner and you do actually own plates do reach out to us because i love a plate owning restaurant (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to take us to technology now mine actually i've noticed mine are all before the year 2000 oh wow this is about surfing under the influence of alcohol (laughs) i don't know have you have you heard this at all i actually haven't heard this at all all right, so 1994, a chap who was, I think he was a columnist in PC Compute Magazine, a, a guy called John Dvorak, elicited visions of a dystopian future for internet use in 1994 when he published an article stating that there was a congressional bill that was going to make it illegal to use the internet while intoxicated. <laughs> now, some people might actually say it's a shame. Yeah, not, it didn't it's, not, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Right. Dvorak referred to the bill number as 040194, which was the date 040194. So 1st of April, 1994. (laughs) And this is the best bit, right? It it goes at the bottom of it, and I'll read it out. It listed the person for people to contact as Lurper Sleuth. But if you're reading it, it's April Fool's backwards. And and I've I've read the whole article. I've managed to find it, but there's all other little clues. Like there is a guy called Kevin. Av- well, maybe this guy's real. I didn't do that because I literally did it before we started. But a guy called Kevin Avril, and Avril is French for April as well. 
Yeah, a little bit about it. I've just got some. So this is from the article itself. You can't find it online. When Vice President Gore began talking about the information highway, we all knew, we all knew the bureaucrats would get involved in more than we might like, um, or would, would get involved more than we might like. In fact, it may already be too late to stop a horrible Senate bill from becoming law. The Monica Information Highway itself seems to be responsible for Bill 040194 introduced by Senator Patrick Lee, is designed to prohibit anyone from using a public computer network while the computer user is intoxicated. I know how silly this sounds, but Congress apparently thinks that being drunk on a highway is bad, no matter what kind of highway it is. (laughs) There are already rampant arguments as to how this law can possibly be enforced. The FBI hopes to use it as an excuse to do routine wiretaps on any computer if there is any evidence that the owner uses or abuses alcohol and has access to a modem. Ah, oh, back in the day when we had a modem. <laughs> Note how it slips in the word uses. This means if you've been drinking one lone beer, you can have your line tapped. <laughs> and then this goes on. There's loads more, but this is about someone who's protesting the bill or supposedly protesting the bill. These people have no clue about the information highway or what it does. The whole thing got started last Christmas during an anti-drinking campaign in the Washington, D.C. metro area. I'm convinced someone jokingly told the office about drunk driving on the information highway and the idea snowballed. These senators actually think there is a physical highway. Seriously, one senator asked me if you need a driving permit to drive a modem on the information highway. (laughs) He has no clue what a modem is. Unfortunately, the public is not much better informed than the Senate. The Gallup organisation at the behest of Congress is polling the public regarding intoxication while using the computer and online hot chatting. The results are chilling. More than half of the public thinks that using a computer while intoxicated should be illegal. (laughs) Then it tells you to contact Lerpa Sleuth. But it says not every reader picked up on all the clues and Congress received an outpouring of outrage calls and people took it so seriously that Senator Ted Kennedy of Massachusetts had to issue a statement saying it was false. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the the principle of turning on your your laptop and it makes you do a fucking sobriety test. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, please stand in front of the camera for 15 seconds without wobbling. <laughs> I mean, it should be. I think, I think there yeah, should genuine, be. Yeah. It, like in the modern world, now that we've had the internet for so long, it does make you wonder, like maybe with what we've seen, it'd actually be a good idea. It'd stop those fucking annoying Instagram stories from people that go and get drunk on nights out and then just yeah. post meaningless shit all over your timelines. <laughs> yeah, this is one where you're disappointed because it's it hasn't come true. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a joke. Right, I've got one. Uh, sorry, but what I also like about that is they, they've made it look like a real article, but they have put enough clues in there if you read the whole thing that yeah. you can pick up on it. But you can't because you're reading it and probably people are getting so angry or so shocked at it yeah. that logic then goes out the window, which happens a lot in headlines and articles nowadays, right? Yeah, so. you think, like, have you ever seen that test? And this is just about general distraction where they ask you to, like, keep track of a ball. And then after you yes. watch it the second time, there's like a monkey that's like doing a dance in the, or like a person dressed as a, a gorilla doing a dance in the middle of the thing. You're like, I completely missed that. And it's because yeah. you're concentrating, you're thinking about well, something else. Yeah, that's it. They say to you, how many balls were there what color were they in did you see the bear what bear and then they play it back and there's a bear fucking juggling in the background i've got i've got one more but what have you have you got another i tell you what i've got a couple of just general internet ones so i when i was younger especially and this was probably something that was a little bit more true of the case as well obviously celebrity death hoaxes were just a really common thing so i don't know what it is but matthew perry has died like 14 times over the space of like the last 15 years as a result of twitter hoaxes and that sort of thing and like have you ever seen one where it's like a story and you don't read the article on twitter properly because you see the headline and you immediately google to see if a celebrity has actually died yeah because you you see it trending on twitter all the time yeah Yeah. genuinely it's like r.i.p x person um, there have been a couple of other instances which are funny in, in and of their own right. And I don't know what it was about the year 2012. A little bit more of a lighthearted one with Justin Bieber. Do you remember? I'm going to call it Burrito Gate. Do you ever remember Burrito Gate? So this was a few years ago. And what people did is Justin Bieber had been spotted a couple of times in public dressed in a particular outfit. And so what these these group of like YouTubers did is get somebody to dress up in the same outfit with sunglasses on and sit on a bench. And it looked like Justin Bieber. So what they did is they took a picture of this person eating a burrito, but rather than eating it at the end, 
biting dead into the middle of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. And then they published the photograph and then like mainstream media outlets picked up on it and they were like, why the fuck does Justin Bieber eat burritos from the middle? <laughs> it became like a proper story. I actually don't know if he came out to deny it in the end, but it circulated and fans were like, absolutely livid that he ate burritos from the center of the thing one photograph created a storm about a celebrity again in a bit more of a light-hearted way but yeah it was again really really silly stuff just to link back to another show i love link being able to link back 2012 if i remember right in our conspiracy episode i brought to the table i think guy who thought the world ended in 2012 because of the hadron collider yeah. and, and we're now in this different reality so maybe there was something going on maybe that was <laughs> the start of it all 2012 was a weird year right i've got one 98 1998 my, my last one and burger king this was the left-handed whopper <laughs> In 1998, Burger King took out an an ad. It was a full-page ad in the USA Today introducing the left-handed Whopper. It detailed how Burger King customers could now order the left-handed Whopper, a left-centric Whopper incarnation in which condiments had been rotated 180 degrees. This evened the playing field for lefty customers previously forced into right-handed eating methods. The advertisement, reposted now by the Museum of Hoaxes, which I think where I got this, claimed the rotated compilation of the burger allowed better bun grip to maximise taste and the lower bun realignment compensated for the weight shift. <laughs> Strategic placement of sesame seeds on the adapted bun prevented seed loss when eating with the left hand. All this was for self pause to have it their way. The next day, a follow-up press statement noted thousands of orders for the left-handed Whopper and some backlash from right-handers insisting on receiving the original right-handed Whopper. <laughs> Ambidextrous eaters presumably remained neutral since the original Burger King ad included an asterisk notice saying, Ambidextrous consumers will not be affected by the changes. <laughs> and what I like about this, the sandwich is called a Whopper and a word defined by Merriam-Webster as an extravagant untruth. So yes, the left-handed Whopper was a good-natured hoax, because we call that a lie, don't we, Whopper? Yeah, so yeah, that is brilliant, to be fair. That is brilliant. But again, it's in the detail, isn't it? Turning around yeah. and saying that ambidextrous people won't be affected by the change. Do you know what they could have done as well is played on that. They should have come out, and they should have done the like completed the joke by saying we've invented the upside-down Whopper for the Australians. <laughs> yeah. well, well this is it what you said is is the details and it's again it's what i said about the patrick moore one it's it's using the language so we've rotated it 180 degrees the rotated compilation allows better bun grip to maximize taste the lower bun realignment compensates for weight shift strategic placement of sesame seeds on the adapted bun uh you know and and like you said that caveat about the the ambidextrous consumers i mean what they should have done is a week later relaunched okay We've heard you. We're relaunching the right-handed Whopper, so you can both be happy. <laughs> and the fact that people that were right-handed called in fucking livid because they couldn't have their right-handed Whopper is brilliant. Again, it's just people jumping on the bandwagon and being like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't found out it's real, but I'm going to stand up and campaign to have something back, which is always there. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like, we, like we said all along, people are too willing to go along with it. Um, and again, I guess this was before the the internet, but you'd still you still like to think the right the right handed and left handed whopper. You still like to think, surely, is there really a difference? Is there really a difference? And like I said, I I just think it's great if they meant it like that. But the fact that yeah, it's a whopper. I I just think for me that it's the icing or the cake or the pickle in the burger for me. So. <laughs> That one is absolutely brilliant. And again, I would love to see more companies do these sorts of things. And, you know, yeah. because now to me, it, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because there's, like I said, I think we talked about it very, very briefly earlier. There's kind of two different types of practical jokes and or hoaxes. There's kind of the innocent ones that don't really hurt anyone and make people feel a little bit daft. And then there's the ones that go overboard. So again, from the internet ones that talk about celebrity deaths or like literally making jokes of stuff that's relatively serious to the YouTube pranksters that were literally like throwing briefcases at people and pretending that they were bombs, which was genuinely a trend right. at one point, if you remember wow. that. No, I hadn't heard that. 
Well, there was, this is a little bit of a tangent, but there was a group in the UK and I think they were called Troll Station and they were known for like practical jokes. But this was like that 2000, again, it was 2012, which was just a weird year for the internet. And it kind of came about then. I don't know if you've ever heard of that guy. What was his name? Vitaly on YouTube. He was like the Russian guy. And then you had people like Roman Atwood, I think. And they made like what were originally like, you know, prank videos where it was lighthearted. And they progressively got worse and worse to the point where I think Vitaly got arrested because he was like, again, he was the one that like threw briefcases at people. And he'd like dress up in a black suit, walk down to somebody having lunch, put a briefcase on the desk and be like, 60 seconds, your life, your choice, and then run away. And I'm like, that shit is like a bomb scare at a time where people genuinely are worried about like, whether it be terrorism or like, you know, domestic terror, whatever it might be. Like, that's a really serious shit thing to do to someone. That's not a joke. That You're trying to terrify someone at that point, aren't you? Yeah, 100%. And then there was the guys, Troll Station. They were, again, a group that did what you, I guess, in 2012, you'd call edgy content. But they actually went to prison because they staged a heist in Tate Modern. So what they did is they walked in with pictures and stuff in bags. And then they had a speaker with an alarm sound on it. They triggered it when they were in there and then started running out and they put like tights over their faces and stuff like that. And obviously members of the public like panicked and sprinted out. They got arrested and they did like two and a half years in prison for that, for like inciting public panic and all of that sort of thing. But again, that's also a shit thing to do to someone because you're literally making people, 150 people think that they're literally a part of an active fucking robbery going on. Like you said, I think the the Burger King one right at the end, that's a a good natured, lighthearted one. Even if nowadays, even if you, you saw it and it was so obvious that it was a joke, You'd have a chuckle at it because yeah, you, you say, would. "Oh, I wonder if anyone's fallen for that." Or the fact yeah, that exactly. they try to do that. It's um, I did actually think while I was planning this episode, and I realised we're kind of pretty much out of time now. Do we think maybe jokes don't work now, or we don't have jokes because basically, social media is just people trying to take take the piss out of everyone and make fun of everyone and everything. Can we not have practical jokes now because everyone is trying to play tricks on everyone anyway? Yeah, I, I think really, I think that's probably what it is. Like the internet has made these things more accessible, have bigger reach to people. And as well, I've seen like, it's kind of like that one upage. So I think that like the bad natured ones and the ones that come from a bad place have kind of come as a result of being like, oh, the lighthearted one works so well. Let's get more serious with it. Or let's make this a shittier thing for people that are spectating it. And I think that's kind of where it comes from. It's like that like poisonous cycle where things get more and more extreme in order to garner more and more attention. Because that's the thing. The BBC yeah. got away with just talking about spaghetti plants in 1958. And now you've got YouTubers staging fucking fake robberies and bomb yeah. threats, right, to turn around yeah. and try and prank people. It's like that new extreme, isn't it? Because if somebody did the spaghetti one now people would look at it and be like, oh, that's bullshit. It doesn't matter. Or they wouldn't think it was funny because it seems so ludicrous. And so as a result, it's like, what have we not seen before that would turn around and garner that reaction? It Trying has to, to get the more Exactly. And that's where the problem kind of lies. But yeah, I, that, that generation of YouTube prankster thankfully died. And we got people like the, the, the practical jokers or the impractical jokers on television. And, and that's a really good example of lighthearted pranks where it's just there to kind of make people look stupid. <laughs> exactly exactly well dear listener did you fall for the left-handed whopper have you gone out and bought yourself a spaghetti plant now to try a plant in, in your garden uh but do let us know if you've ever played a good natured let's actually yeah because i want to be careful if we do get any mails if you played a good natured <laughs> practical joke on anyone or been the recipient of one let us know if you if there are any good ones you know that we didn't cover you can contact us at castingviewspod at gmail.com or on Twitter at castingviews. If you want to say hi, anything on this episode or to to suggest the topic, please consider leaving a rating for us where possible. Luke, anything else from you before we go? No, apart from the fact that I'm starting to think about what practical joke we can play on our listeners, but we'll leave that for another episode. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll leave you with, we know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose. We thank you for listening to Casting Views. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, check what we've got, cause you need it, don't make us get